This is Blankenship on Trial, West Virginia Public Broadcasting's podcast about former Massey CEO Don Blankenship and the Upper Big Branch Mine Disaster. I'm Scott Finn, Executive Director at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. We'll look at the evidence, the arguments, and why it matters. This is Blankenship on Trial. I'm Ashton Mara. Today we bring you another special episode of our podcast. Beth Voorhees hosts this episode that was recorded Wednesday as a part of West Virginia Public Broadcasting's morning news program, West Virginia Morning. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Beth Voorhees. Jurors have begun deliberations in the trial of former Massey Energy CEO Don Blankenship. Blankenship is charged with conspiring to violate federal mine safety laws and lying to securities officials and investors about Massey's safety record following the 2010 Upper Big Branch mine explosion that killed 29 miners. Joining me this morning to discuss the closing statements in the case and what to expect next is West Virginia Public Broadcasting's Ashton Mara and Mike Hissom. He's an attorney with the Charleston law firm Bailey and Glasser and a former assistant U.S. attorney. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Beth. Good morning, morning, Ashton. What's the latest? What happened yesterday and where do they stand this morning? Yesterday morning, jurors were given their final instructions on the charges Don Blankenship is facing and the evidence that they'll consider while they continue their deliberations today. After those instructions, both the prosecution and the defense were given about two hours to deliver their closing arguments. That lasted most of the day, and the jurors were sent back around 4 o'clock to start deliberating and and making a decision in this case. And Mike, I want to get to the jurors' instructions in just a moment, but U.S. Attorney Booth Goodwin gave the government's closing remarks. Give us an overview. What did he say? Yeah, that's right. So the government split up its closing argument, and Booth Goodwin, the U.S. attorney, went first. In just under about 90 minutes, he described the entirety of the trial, uh, and he did so with a very impressive presentation that centered around a PowerPoint uh, set of slides where he had pictures of the witnesses. He had excerpts from the key parts of the transcript that were on the screen. He played audio recordings of Don Blankenship, and he had documents, Don Blankenship's own words and memos that would pop out of the PowerPoint. And in a, in a very, very impressive way, summarized this in plain terms for the jury. That's what was interesting, if I can just add quickly. You know, we spent days and days with people like Chris Blanchard, the uh, mine company operator, people like Bill Ross, the former MSHA official. But what Mr. Goodwin did in his case was focus on the miners, these individuals who were maybe only on the stand for an hour or an hour and a half. He brought it back to those miners who were underground and the stories that they told about working at UBB. So then jurors heard from Don Blankenship's lead attorney, Bill Taylor. What did he say? Taylor's overarching message was that the government didn't provide any real proof in the case. One of the most effective lines, I thought, was he said, the government has brought you paper, but no proof, referring Mm -hmm. to the thousands of documents that the government has entered as evidence in the case. Uh, Taylor pointed to missing witnesses. No one from the Securities Exchange Commission was called to say that they'd been misled by statements. Mm -hmm. No shareholder to testify that they'd been lied to. And most importantly, Taylor points out that no inspector from MSHA, the Mine Safety and Health Administration, was called to say that they had been defrauded, which is the major charge in the case. It was a pretty effective argument. Taylor says the government's attempted to show that MSHA was the victim 
they were the ones who were defrauded and out money because of citations that were covered up. And he used this analogy that um, if a cop doesn't show up to court for a traffic ticket, then that ticket goes away. He was kind of saying, Emsha is the cop in this in this case. Mm-hmm. Emsha didn't show up, so those charges should go away. Um, he talked talked about Chris Blanchard's testimony. He talked, of course, about the Ross memo, the Ross memo that pointed out all of the issues at Massey. And he said, you know, why would Don Blankenship hire a former Emsha inspector if there was a conspiracy going on? Why would he do that if not to improve safety standards? He went about attacking individual pieces of evidence or these building blocks to the prosecution's case. Mike, you've characterized Booth Goodwin's presentation as impressive. How would you characterize Bill Taylor's? I think it was impressive as well. He had a very colloquial, very uh, plain-spoken approach with the jury. It's just substantively, Ashton's absolutely right. He did the exact opposite, whereas Booth Goodwin focused on the minors. Bill Taylor basically said nothing about the minors. He opened his presentation by saying, I want to tell you about six slides. And there were six slides of transcript of testimony of Chris Blanchard and Bill Ross. He focused his presentation on those two guys Mm -hmm. and didn't talk about the coal miners. The government then got a second chance basically to to provide a rebuttal to Taylor's remarks. How did that go and what what was said there? Right. And that's when Steve Ruby, the assistant U.S. attorney who's been the lead prosecutor on this case, uh, responded to Bill Taylor. And he did so by attacking the point that Ashton just made. He said, Bill Taylor wants you to focus, you, the jury, to focus on discrete pieces of evidence. But this is not the case. The case is the big picture. And he used that phrase. And then he asked the jury to imagine a set of things. And he went through a discussion focusing on the minors and focusing on imagine what it was like to be that minor, to walk through entries filled with water to your neck, to choke for air, to have dust blown in your face as you worked every day, to be under threat of being fired if you spoke out, if you complained. That was powerful testimony where he's asking the jurors to put themselves in the shoes of the guys on the line. Steve also did an effective, Mr. Ruby also had this effective closing as well, where he says, you know, UBB was a runaway train and Don Blankenship had the power to put on the brakes and instead he hit the gas and he told them to run coal. I just want to read the closing, his closing line, because it was really, really powerful. Ruby says, justice is waiting Justice is counting on each and every one of you. It's long past time for justice to be done here. But bringing up the point that Bill Taylor brought up, no witnesses regarding stockholders or securities exchange commission members. Does that surprise you? In in a case like this, wouldn't you expect them to take the stand for the prosecution to make that argument? Yeah, it's slightly surprising that the government, um, the way that they obtained or admitted these Securities and Exchange Commission records was by an affidavit from an official from the SEC. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit surprising that there wasn't a live witness to do that. Now, the response would be that there was an expert witness, Frank Torchio, who testified as to the securities issues and okay. that he described the impact of that and the importance of that. Okay. So this sounds like very emotional closing statements, Ashton. What, you know, How were the juries? jurors reacting to what these attorneys were saying. So during, 
U.S. Attorney Goodwin's opening argument, you could see that jurors were engaged with him. He was very personable, very likable, and they were all reacting to that. They all looked, you know, happy to be there, which hasn't been, you haven't been able to say the whole time. Mm -hmm. I would say the same for Bill Taylor. You could see that people were much more reserved. They were sitting back in their seats, but everyone was paying attention closely to him, very thoughtful, thinking about the things he was saying. Mr. Ruby's closing remarks were probably the most emotional for everyone. Uh, Mike was talking about this idea of picture yourself underground. Picture what it's like to be a minor in the dark, all alone, miles away from fresh air. That became an emotional thing, not just for the jurors, but for the family members themselves. They're family members that have been sitting in the courtroom every day as Mm -hmm. this case has progressed. And many of them, as Steve was painting this picture, were crying during that. You could see that the jurors saw that. They reacted to that emotion. There was a juror even in the back row that we saw who was looked as if she was wiping away tears. So Mr. Ruby's remarks became the most emotional of the day. So deliberations have begun. Mike, tell us about these instructions to the jurors. What are these instructions? Right. So the, the jury instructions have two basic parts. The first part is to is to tell the jury the rules of the road in a criminal case, what types of evidence they've heard, how they can consider the evidence, um, how the process works, the way that the burden of proof works, that the government must prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. The judge then walks through the elements of each of the three offenses here. There are three crimes charged in the superseding indictment, and the judge walks through the legal elements and the definitions of terms in each of those legal elements and explains all that to the jury. That took an hour. That's an hour of the judge reading off of a piece of pa- off of pieces of paper, mm-hmm. and that's where she started the morning yesterday. So that's the first thing the jury heard. Now, they actually get that written charge, it's called, handed to them. I was going to ask if anybody was taking notes or if they get that. Document. Right. They sure. were taking notes, but they. She tells them, "I'm going to give this to you," and, and they take it back into the jury room. And it, your guess is as good as mine as whether anybody reads it. But mm-hmm. it's back there. Okay. So, what comes next, Ashton and Mike? We'll begin deliberations again this morning. The jurors been, have been asked to be back at 9 a.m. and. We wait for a verdict. You know, the judge has made it clear that everything is on the juror's schedule. There's not really any indication of how long that's going to take. All right. West Virginia Public Broadcasting's Ashton Mara, Charleston attorney Mike Hissom. Thank you all so very much. Thanks, Beth. Thanks, Beth. Blankenship on Trial is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Our theme music is by Matt Jackford. See illustrations from the trial, daily updates, and more on our website, wvpublic.org. And make sure you follow us on Twitter for the latest, at Ashton Mara and at WVPublicNews. Thanks for listening.